Welcome to the Encounter Church Podcast. We believe that this message is going to bless your life, encourage you, and strengthen your walk with Jesus. Grab a notebook, a pen, and let's jump right in. Let's jump right into the message this morning. Real quick, my name is Pastor Chris. If you and I have not had the opportunity to meet, um, catch me after service. Help me get to know you. Help me put a face to a name. Maybe we've talked on the phone at some point in time or in crossing, but help me get to know you just a little bit better. So catch me right after the service. I'll be in the lobby out there. Um, We can have a small conversation together. But how many of you are ready for the Word of God today? (laughs) Let's try that one more time. How many of you are ready for the Word of God today? There we go. There we go. There we go. Well, we are in a series right now. In fact, we're on the last leg of a series that we're simply calling Multiply. We're processing through the book of Acts. We're discovering how the early church responded to the mandate of Jesus to go and make disciples. In other words, to multiply the good news of Jesus Christ. We're to multiply in every area of our lives, multiply our relationship with Jesus. In other words, dive in deeper, get to know him at a greater capacity. We're to multiply our relationship with one another, rubbing shoulders together, sharpening one another, being a part of one another's lives. We are multiply the good news of Christ and our impact in this community. So go outside of these walls and, and talk to those that we work with or those in the grocery store or those we encounter throughout the day. Just share that good news and, and watch what God does in their lives. We're to multiply our generosity, and that covers not only giving, but also in serving. We're going to talk more about that early this fall. But today, I want to look at this journey that Paul is on. You see, he's at a point, at a moment, where people begin to warn him that opposition is right around the corner. And I wonder... How do we respond when we face opposition when it comes to our relationship with Christ? Or more personally, let me ask it directly to you. How do you respond when opposition comes your way or in, in Paul's moment when just the threat of or the word that opposition is on its way, how do you respond to that in life. I want to look at Acts chapter 21, 22, and 23 today. They all kind of mesh together. But look at Acts 21, verse 4, and then 10 through 12. This is our text for this morning. It says, these believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul should not go to Jerusalem. Verse 10, several days later, a man named Agabus who also had a gift of prophecy, arrived in Judea. He came over, took Paul's belt, and bound his own feet and hands with it. Then he said, The Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, We and the local believers all begged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Now, last week, we discussed and we discovered that every single one of us are given one message, one purpose, 
one calling, and on the back side of it all, there's one reward. But what happens in this process if things get difficult, if trouble comes our way? How do we respond when the threat of opposition, or even opposition itself, comes our way? Again, that's exactly where Paul finds himself in chapter 21 through 23 this morning. I want to take just a few moments. I want to look at three steps that we as followers of Christ, we as Christians, that we should take when trouble comes our way. Do you, anybody in the house, any of you need to know, what do I do when I face opposition? What do I do when difficult? Any of you ever face difficulty? Like three people over here and a couple in the back. Can let me ask that again? Anybody in the house ever face issues in life? Ever have problems? Do you want to know how we're to respond as Christians? Well, that's what we're going to talk about for the next few moments this morning. I want to encourage you, take really good notes. Grab the paper copy. Go to the church app, Encounter Church AG, at your favorite app store, and grab that online um, outline and fill that out this morning and take really good notes as we look at three steps to take when trouble comes our way. Number one is this. When potential trouble arises, stand your ground with Jesus. When potential trouble arises, stand your ground with Jesus. Now, anytime that I'm working on a sermon, any given day that I've got my outline open and I'm processing through, you're going to find several commentaries, several Bibles, several web pages open. I'm going to be processing through a lot of things. And in that process, looking at this section of Scripture, one commentary that I was reading stated that in this entire situation, there were two distinctly different pictures or groups of people when it came to religion. Now, one of them were the Jewish people. They were religiously focused, but they had, in essence, exploited religion with a skewed perspective of what the church should really look like and what the church is all about. The other had a heart in full pursuit of multiplying the good news of Jesus Christ to a lost and broken world. And I began to look at this idea of where Paul was in his day. And as he went throughout the communities and the cities, he faced these two different groups of people. One with a skewed perspective of Christianity. One with a skewed perspective of the church. And, and they had changed it and they had morphed it and they had figured out how to make it fit their needs. And yet over here, you had a group of individuals that were passionate about the things of Jesus Christ and sharing that good news with everyone. And I realized we have a lot in common with Paul. If you go outside these walls today, that's exactly what you're going to find. You're going to find two distinct groups of people when it comes to the church. Some have a skewed perspective. 
They've taken little, pit, little bits of the Bible here and there. They have, they have modified it to fit their need. They have modified it to justify their behavior and their action. And yet you have others over here that are standing their ground on the Word of God and with Jesus as a focal point of all they do. It's where we are as a culture. Some are embracing it and promoting that which is in direct opposition to the Word of God. And then there are those that hold true and hold tightly to what the Bible has to say. Now this posed a problem for Paul. I would eventually say in, in the years to come, this is going to pose a problem here in the United States as well. Mark my word. I was talking to one of the guys that attends here, and he recently moved here from another state. And he mentioned to me, even at his employment, his job here in the United States, he was sharing about Jesus to one of his coworkers, and he was reprimanded. You can't talk about Jesus here. See, we, we've got this mindset, this skewed mindset of who Jesus really is, and, and it posed a problem for Paul. You see, Paul's heart was to reach the world for the cause of Christ, to, to multiply the good news of Jesus to everyone, everywhere. However, this approach did not make the Jewish people very happy. In fact, in Paul's journey to Jerusalem, there were several people that prophesied that he would be arrested and face trouble if he continued to Jerusalem. Yet here is one of the things that I love about Paul. He didn't back down from his calling. He knew that he was given one message. That message wasn't to be altered. That message wasn't to be modified. Oh, the way that he would present it might be different. Paul said, I become all things to all people that I might reach some. And what that means for us is that Paul would, would kind of change his approach depending on who he spoke to. But he wouldn't morph it into something that wasn't true. He held solid to, he held firm to the foundation of this one message that Jesus came to die on the cross so that you could have life and have life more abundantly. That this message that, that without Christ we have hope, that, that what we earn in our own behaviors, in our own action, this life that we live is a life that deserves separation from all eternity because we just can't do it right. We all fall short. Anybody in the house ever mess up? Yeah. We make mistakes. Why? Because we're human and we're faulty at best. So Paul realized that his message of hope had to be shared to the world. He realized that he had one purpose, one calling. This was his pursuits to follow the good news of Christ. You see, Paul had had a very life-changing, life-transforming moment. We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. God got his attention. Therefore, Paul was passionate in this pursuit of sharing 
the good news of Christ. I've said it over and over again, church, this must be our desire. We must be willing to take up the hard and the heavy to make it easy for the one. We must be willing to do all that we can to reach the lost, to reach the broken, yet we must stand our ground when opposition comes. We can't be satisfied with just coming in on a Sunday morning, punching a spiritual time card and walking out the door. See, they all ran up to Paul. They said, Paul, you can't go to Jerusalem. They're going to arrest you there. They're going to turn you over to the Gentiles. The end does not look good for you. Yet he responded in verse 13. He says this, Why all this weeping? You're breaking my heart. I am not only, I'm ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. Paul says, no matter what, I'm all in. No matter what, this is my calling. No matter what, this is what God has called me to do. This is what he shared with me when I was on the road to Damascus, when I was going down the wrong pathway, when I was going the wrong direction. God stopped me in the moment. He shared his heart with me. Why are you weeping? This is what I've got to do. This is what God's placed in my life. This is my my message. This is my purpose. This is my calling. He says, you're breaking my heart. Why? Because they weren't seeing the bigger picture. They had gotten so consumed with the issue that they missed the bigger calling. How easy that is to do. How easy it is to to see the potential problem around the corner, to catch wind of the issue of the opposition, and suddenly that becomes bigger than life, and that takes over the situation, and that clouds our vision of what God has placed in front of us. Church, I want you to understand the bigger picture. Just in Pettis County... There are 17,000 people plus that claim no affiliation with God whatsoever. Just Pettis County. In Johnson County, that consumes our Warrensburg campus. 32,000 people have no connection with Jesus Christ whatsoever. In Benton County, the community that we're heading to in in Lincoln fall of 23 to start a campus, there are 10,400 people with no connection to Jesus Christ. Church, we've got to see the bigger picture. We've got to be all in. We've got to say, Lord, whatever you have, God, whatever you want me to do, God, I will stand my ground with you. God, I will stand in the authority that you have given me as a follower of Christ. Paul says, why are you weeping? You're breaking my heart. 
You don't understand the bigger picture. It's not about me. They can arrest me. They can turn me over, the Gentiles. They can do whatever they want, but I've got to share the one message. I've got to pursue my one purpose. This is a calling for my life, not to run from opposition, not to run from struggles, not to run from difficulty, but to press in, to lean in, to rely upon the good news of Jesus Christ. How do we do this? Ephesians chapter 6 gives us that answer. Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus and he says this, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Let me pause. Come on, look at this. When you face opposition, when you face difficulty, when you even catch wind of problems coming your direction, you're not standing firm in your own ability. Come on. You're not standing firm in your own talents. You're not standing firm in your own strength. But Paul says, be strong in the what? In the Lord. And in what? His mighty power. We're standing our ground. We're standing firm on who God is and what God is able to do. And by the way, there's nothing too difficult for my God. He goes on in verse 11 to say, put on all of God's armor. Come on, not my armor, not your armor, not society's armor, not the church's armor, but clothe yourself in God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. You don't fight against one another. You're not fighting against that coworker. You're not fighting against that friend or that enemy. You're not fighting against that neighbor, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. In other words, when opposition comes your way, when difficulty comes around the corner, with having God's armor Upon you, you clothe yourself in all that he has for you. When that time of opposition comes, when that difficulty comes your way, you'll be able to resist the enemy. Then he goes on to say this, after you, then after the battle, you will be standing firm. One translation says, when you've done everything to stand, stand firm. When, when you're ready to give up, when you're ready to throw in the towel, when you've done all that you think you can do, when you think that you've gone as far as you can go, stand firm. Not in your ability. Not in your strength. But in the anointing, in the power of God Almighty. Come on, look at this. 
As we learn to stand our ground, we're not standing in ourselves, but in him. Verse 10 reminds us to be strong in the Lord, in his power. However, this cannot be done in word alone. Come on, look at this. I can read this and read this and read this and read this and allow it to be words that come off of my tongue, allow it to be words that come out of my mouth, but if I never put action to the words, all that I have are words on a page. Come on. There's got to be action. When difficulty comes your way, when opposition comes your way, begin to clothe yourself in all of God's armor. This is the armor that God has for you. Let me, let me read it to you. Beginning verse 14, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Verse 18, pray in the Spirit at all times. Come on, we talked a lot about this throughout this series. We need the Holy Spirit. Look at your neighbor this morning and tell them, you need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the infilling of the Holy Spirit. We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you have not received the Holy Spirit in baptism, I challenge you, begin to seek God for that. It says, pray in the Spirit at all times, on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Church, when opposition comes your way, when the potential threat of opposition comes your direction, I challenge you, stand your ground with Jesus. Hold tightly to the word of God. Let this be the foundation with which you build your life upon. Step number two is this. When potential trouble arises, remember all that God has done. In other words, be encouraged in the Lord. Now, why do I say this? Because I find in life that in the moment when something good happens, we celebrate the good in that moment. But it just takes one upheaval situation. It just takes one bit of opposition being thrown our direction to take us away from what is good, and now we focus on the chaos around us. We find ourselves falling into this pit of, look at everything that's wrong. The problem is we have this love-hate relationship. We hate this idea of a falling trap or falling victim to this pit of struggle. But yet for some reason we find comfort in that. I challenge you today, don't settle in to this situation. In fact, I encourage you to begin to embrace the good that God has done. Let me ask you a question. Has God saved your soul? If so, celebrate that. 
Has God met you in the midst of opposition and struggles before? If so, celebrate that. Don't wallow around in that which God never intended for you to possess. Right? Don't wallow around in that which is not yours. You have been called by God to clothe yourself in God's armor, to place the armor upon your life. Why? So you can battle against the opposition. He doesn't say when struggle comes your way, lean into the problems. Wallow around in the pity. No, he doesn't say that, does he? That's what we do. Oh, I can't believe I'm dealing with this again. I can't believe this has come my direction again. Oh, woe is me. Look at my issues. Oh, bless my heart. Right? But just the opposite is what we're called to do. We're called to press into the good things of God. To remember what he's done in our lives. To grab a hold of the hope that he's made, made available to you and to me. There's an old song of the church that says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. My hope is built on the one who sacrificed everything for me, the one that changed my life, the one that took me off this road of destruction and placed me on the road of victory with him, the one who took me from here and placed me where he has me to be, the one that's given me a greater purpose and a greater calling. That's my hope. That's what I've got to lean into. When trouble comes my way, when opposition comes my way, I've got to remember all that God has done for me. Jeremiah 29 reminds us that God has a plan for every single one of us. Not a plan of destruction, but a plan of hope and a future. That includes you. That includes you. Look at how Paul responded in verse 18. He said, the next day Paul went with us to meet with James. And all the elders of the Jerusalem church were present. After greeting them, Paul gave a detailed account of the things God had accomplished among the Gentiles through his ministry. After hearing this, they praised God and then they said, you know, dear brother, how many thousands of Jews have also believed and they all followed the law of Moses very seriously? Paul began to make a detailed list of all the good that God had done. He could have thrown that out. He could have said, well, so-and-so over here told me I'm going to face problems and well, they told me I'm going to face problems, and well, his girls told me I'm going to face problems, and well, I just don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to, I'm just going to sit here, and I'm not going to do anything for God because, well, problems all around me. It's, it's, it's in, my, in my future, and I can't really help that, so I'll just sit in my situation. No, he didn't do that, did he? But in that moment, he began to talk about the good things of God, making a detailed list. No, he's not negating the fact that potential troubles in the horizon, but he's not fixating himself 
on that potential threat either. Instead, he is resting in the reality that God is good and deserves our praise. Come on, take a look at that. He's resting in the reality. Come on, look at the rest of these are prophecies. The rest of these are are things, hey, I'm here to tell you, I believe this is going to happen. I've been told by God this is going to happen. This is going to happen in your future. But here's the reality of the fact. Here's what's happened in the past. Here's what's happening in the present. Here's what's happening in the future because my God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You rest in the reality that God is so good that God deserves our praise. I challenge you today, when difficulty arises, begin to give God praise. Why? Because suddenly when you begin to worship him, suddenly when you begin to give God praise and honor and glory, there's a shift in the atmosphere of your life. You're no longer fixated on that problem, on that difficulty, on that opposition, but now you're fixated upon the goodness of Christ. When trouble comes your way, remember that God is still God, that he loves you. He's not mad at you. In fact, he has a plan for you, a plan of good, not disaster, a plan of hope, and a plan for the future. Therefore, move your attention onto the reality of Jesus not the potential that's been spoken. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says it this way. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things we cannot see. For the things we cannot see will soon be gone. But I'm sorry, the things we can see will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last Forever. What he's saying here is don't fixate upon the problem in front of you. Set your eyes upon the good things of God. Our third step is this. When potential trouble arises, let God reaffirm your calling. Come on, how have you know sometimes we just need somebody to go, you know what, you got this. You've got this. I've called you to this. I've, I've set you in this place for such a time as this. I've given you this purpose and this calling in life. Sometimes when we face this opposition or the potential threat of opposition, we've got to lean in and allow God to reaffirm our calling. Why? Because he's called you by name. Paul takes the time to give his personal credentials In fact, in verse 21, he says this, I'm a Jew, and I'm a citizen of Tarsus and Cilicia, which is an important city. So he lays out this foundation. Why does he say this? Why does he share this information? Well, he's laying a common groundwork with those that are questioning him. He's setting some commonality with them. Then he goes a bit further. You see, at this moment, he's sharing a connect of his residency. Here's where I'm from. This is my citizenship. And then he gets a little personal. He starts talking about his education. He starts starts talking about the fact that he's a Jew and what he's gone through as a Jew. 
And he says, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia. And I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. And as his students, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you today. And I persecuted the followers of the way. That's the early Christians. See, before Paul had a heart change and a life change, he was very zealous for the Jewish law, the structure. So he would do everything he could to keep people from turning to Jesus. He says, I persecuted the followers of the way, hounding some to death, arresting both men and women and throwing them in prison. The high priest and the whole council of elders can testify that this is so. For I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus, authorizing me to bring the followers of the way from there to Jerusalem in chains to be punished. Now, why is this important? Why does Paul take the time to write this? Why is this found in the Word of God for us to read today? Well, I think it's there. I I think it's there to, to help encourage us. See, just like your power and your strength doesn't come from yourself, your personal credentials will only take you so far. So he begins to recap that, to to lay this foundation, to help them understand who he is as a person. But then he goes on to begin to share the fact that God has called him. That God has set all of this in motion. He begins to share with them the fact that he was once right where they are. But God stepped in. He was once going down the same path that they are going down, but God stepped in. God met him on that road to Damascus. God called him by name. God called him out. Look what it says in verse 14 through 16. Then he told me, the God of your ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear him speak. For you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. What are you waiting for? I ask you that same question today. What are you waiting for? God's called you by name. God's placed a mission in front of you. He's given you one message, one purpose, one calling. What are you waiting for? You've got to remember who you are in Christ. You're more than a conqueror. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You're a child of the Most High God. He's called you by name. He's given you a purpose and a calling to declare the greatness of who he is to a broken, perverse world. 
I've already said it this morning. I say it almost weekly. And I'm going to continue to say it until it becomes part of the DNA of who we are as a church. We must be willing to take up the hard and the heavy to make it easy for the one. What do I mean by that? That individual that's giving Jesus one more chance. That person that's running from God and is on a downward spiral. The guy that is trapped in the pit of addiction and can't seem to find his way out. The individual that struggles in their family. Perhaps the one that's been hurt by the church in the past. Are you willing to take up the hard and the heavy to make it easy for them? See verse 11 of chapter 23, Paul says this, that night the Lord appeared to Paul and said, be encouraged. Just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. It says, be encouraged. Again, I say the same to you. Be encouraged. God is not promising that potential threat won't arise, that it won't appear, but he's promising that he'll be with you in and through it all. So don't allow the potential threats to derail you, to take you off the mission that God has set before you. Why? Because he has a plan for you. Every one of you. Now some of you, you negate that. You give reasons in your mind why, why you can't fulfill that calling, why it's just not possible. But I'm here to tell you that every one of you in the room, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've surrendered to him, God has a plan for you. So I ask it again. What are you waiting for? Now is your moment. Now is your time. Let's rest in the goodness of God and make the shift from potential threats to God reality. Would you pray with me today? Thank you again for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. We pray that this message was a blessing and an encouragement to your life.